Well, I've been anxious to preach uh, this sermon. It's out of First uh, Thessalonians chapter three, and the passage we'll be considering really is is primarily just one verse. Is First Thessalonians three and verse twelve? Paul has been speaking of his desire to come back to and to be involved with and to nurture and supply what is lacking in the faith of this young church at Thessalonica, a church that he ministered to for just a few months at the most. And he says this, he says, may, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Increase and overflow means to superabound. I rejoice in this verse because I see that in this church. I thank you that year after year I've seen grace and mercy and love superbound. But this is the main point I want to make, and I'll say this probably 13 different times in the next 35 minutes. This love flows from the soil of the greatness of the living God in the face of Jesus. If we are to be loving, if we're to overflow with love, if we are to be super abounding in love, it flows from the soil of the worship of the greatness of all that God is in the person and work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We sing about love, we hear statements about love, we read books about love, we see movies about love, and, and yet it's, it's very difficult for people to define love. The Bible says in John 13 that the mark of a Christian is love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this love, all men will know that you are my disciples. So we, we love one another as Christ has loved us. And th- by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Or we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, in Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, number one. Love, joy, peace, patience. Love. And yet in the few verses before that, the Apostle Paul says this, Verse 14 of chapter 5, the entire law was summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So, so in the church, he says, there was a group biting and devouring and destroying each other. So that's why Jesus says, keep yourself in the love of God. So you keep yourself in his love. Or you can slip and slip and slip and name the name of Christ, Paul says here, and bite and devour one another. Those are strong words. Love. Romans 12 says, love must be sincere. Verse 9. And then I think he defines what love being sincere looks like. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Love. This this is who we're called to be. But love is... Is, here's the definition. Love is modeled on the reality of Christ and results in caring for others volitionally and in acts of service and emotionally. It's just not 
our commitment. It, it, I think it's, it, needs to, it needs to be uh, an existential feeling. Caring for others in, in light of Scripture. Love grows out of the soil of Christ. So we said this passage, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 and following. He says in verse 6, Timothy has just come back from or to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and your love. And then he says, verse 7, Therefore, brothers, in all of our distress and persecutions, we were encouraged because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So it says you're standing firm in the Lord. And then he says in verse 10, he says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So he says you're standing firm in the Lord. But you need to continue to have supplying issues built into your life by the power of God through the Word of God under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So you, you stand firm, but you always are building and being, getting supplied. And he says, may your love increase and may your love overflow. And you see, the church was, was standing firm. We've seen that in this book. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says... We always thank God for all of you, mention you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ reigns and rules and he's coming again. And then he talks about how they received the word and, and he says that there was a, a glory about these people. It says, verse 8, that the Lord's message rang out from you all over Macedonia and all over Acadia. And they themselves report what kind of reception that you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven who rescues us from the coming wrath. His name is Jesus. This is the type of people you are. You, you, you turn to God from idols. You, you, you're dealing with your idols And you're waiting for the coming of Christ. This is a strong church, a firm church, a a planted church. And then he talks about how they they responded to the apostolic message, chapter 2, verse 13. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is at work in you who believe. He says, you're firm. You're known for the triad of graces. You you deal with idolatry and you've you've received the word. And because of that, the message has exploded all over the known world. And I'm encouraged because you're standing firm in the Lord. But he says, but listen, continue to go for it. Continue to go for it. Continue to stand firm, continue to supply what is lacking, continue to grow in the Lord. And then he says this later in the book, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Now about brotherly love. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more and more. This is interesting. You're standing firm, but keep going for it. You love each other, but do so more and more. You love each other, but may the love of Christ increase and overflow and superabound in your life. We are never 
finished. We are always in process. Love. So let me just talk about that issue today, just increasing overflowing in love. Listen to a well-known passage, Mark chapter 12. The companion passage, verse 28 to 31, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them good answers. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus answered him, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. First of all, Christ says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the day of the Bible, they would have the god Neptune on the prow of a boat. They would have the god Zeus in the Greco-Roman world who would accompany them into battle. If you want to give a speech, you would go to the god Hermes. All these gods, all these idols, all these... Jesus says, here, there's only one God and he is one. There is is no other. And he says, and this God, quoting Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament, this God you are to love with all of your heart, which means the sin of your being with all of your mind, with all of your soul and with all of your strength. In other words, you are to love him with the totality of all of your, all that you are. You are to have a radical God orientation in your life. You have a radical God orientation in your life. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. You love God that way. And then, and only then, do you love your neighbors, you love yourself. You see that? Then and only then do you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You've got to have a, a radical God orientation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's no, no other. And this one God who is supreme and glorious and eternal and all-knowing and everywhere present, who, this one God who never had a beginning and never has an end, this one God you are to love with all of your heart, and your mind, and your soul, and your strength. And then, and only then, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Or do you love your wife? Or do you love your kids? Or your friends? Radical God orientation grows out of the soil of who Christ is. It's just very simple. In Deuteronomy, there is a statement about in the future, God tells his people, you'll have a king. And he gives these, Moses wrote down these commands about the king. Listen, he says, verse 16, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of, of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt or to get more of them, for the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray and he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. What's the king to do? Listen. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. 
probably the book of Deuteronomy. He's a sit down. First thing he does, he doesn't appoint a cabinet. He doesn't bring out the Marine Corps band. He gets a scroll and he sits down with a quill and he painstakingly in Hebrew writes down the law. That's what he's to do. He's to write down on the scroll a copy of the law taken from that of the priests who are the Levites. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Isn't that something? He used to do this so he won't forget that all of life is to have a radical God orientation. There's a trial going on right now in Greensboro, North Carolina, involving a man that was a former vice presidential candidate and former U.S. senator, an incredibly gifted man. Read an article about this in the New York Times two weeks ago, I think it's the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the statement was made that one of his friends said, you know, as soon as this man was elected senator, he began to change. He said within one month of being in the Senate, he called me and said, can you ask Vice President Gore if I can be on the short list of his potential vice presidential candidates? He'd been a senator one month. And of course, a few years later, he was John Kerry's running mate. And his friend said this, as I watched him and I observed him, he forgot all about what it meant to be from North Carolina. <laughs> he just forgot. And so what, what God is saying here is, 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 is no matter how big or powerful this man appears to be, he's to carry this scroll with him. He's to review it. He's to think through it. But because when you revere the Lord and when you honor him, then you're not Mr. Big Stuff. You don't consider yourself better than other people. You understand grace. You see, love the Lord with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and then and only then, love your neighbor. Or think of the quote, love your neighbor as you love yourself, which comes from Leviticus 19. Just let me read a few verses before that. Leviticus 19, verse 12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Verse 14, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor. Or favoritism to the rich and the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life, for I am the Lord. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. You see, 
a radical God orientation. That's who we should be. Love the Lord, and then and only then you'll love your neighbor. I think of a little verse in Hosea in the Old Testament that says, when, when, when I fed them, they became satisfied. When they became satisfied, they became proud, and then they forgot me. Man, it's easy to forget God. In your success, it's easy to forget God. In your heartache, it's easy to forget God. But if we're to love, it comes out of the soil of, of, of worship. Okay. This quote, it's a little book here. It's called The Four Loves. It's old. It's been read through, pulled on. I've had it 30-some years. C.S. Lewis. Maybe his best book. My opinion. Some of you disagree, but great book. But he talks about the natural loves of affection and friendship and sexuality. And then the love of God, or the love that God gives, which is, he says, agape. In his tapes, agape, we say. But this is what he says. When God arrives, and only then, the half-gods can remain. Left to themselves, they either vanish or become demons. What he says that, that, that if the circumference of your life is finding friends, then they, that either vanishes or you become a monomaniacal friend finder that everybody runs from. Or if the circumference from the beginning and the end of your life is your sexuality. He says it becomes a demon. And he says this. It's great. Only in his name, should be named, can they with beauty and security truly flourish. Friendship, sexuality, affection. It grows out of the soil of the reality of Christ. Now, a terribly difficult saying from the lips of Christ is found in Luke chapter 14. He says, if any man comes to me and does not hate, it's the word hate, his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes after, comes after me and doesn't follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And you say, stop. Hates father and mother, wife and children, brothers. What in the world? What are you saying here? with a shocking statement is that the reality of the Christ who is to be worshipped must be always first. And I'm not a prophet, but I believe that's going to become more and more difficult in our world. I, I read recently about a man I respect very much, a guy named D.A. Carson, a great scholar. He said 30 years ago, the most well-known and popular verse, even among Christians, was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He said, today the most 
quoted verse among Christians, they don't know where the text, the text is, judge not, lest you be judged. That's Matthew 7 1. See, the, the change. An age of incredible tolerance, unless you're thinking about something that you don't want to be tolerant about, but age of tolerance. And so to stand up and say that Christ must be supreme is going to be more and more difficult. Well, Luther said it so well years ago. He said, let, let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. Just think about those words. Let goods and kindred go. Christ destroys the supremacy of marriage or the family or anything else. Christ must be supreme. But you see, out of, out of the brokenness of a worshiper and the glorious wonder of the soil of Christ, every other love flourishes. But he must, he must be Lord. And then Lewis... It's a very bold statement. Later in the chapter says this. I'm going to read the whole quote. He says, So in the last resort, we must turn down or disqualify our nearest and our dearest when they come between us and our obedience to God. Heaven knows it will seem to them sufficiently like hatred. And he says this. We must not act on the pity we feel we must be blind to tears and deaf to pleadings. Yeah. Love grows out of the soil of the reality of the glory of Christ. People frequently ask me, Young parents are so much fun to be around. And they'll say, what is a great book on parenting? And quite frankly, there are some horrible books on parenting that have Christian publishers. Horrible. Horrible. Okay? Some are okay. Some are pretty good. But I, I say to them, the best book on parenting is the Bible. I say, well, I know that. But no, no, no. Listen to me. The best book on parenting is the Word of God. Because it teaches you to live in a Christ-like fashion. It teaches you to be kind and tender. If you, if you plead for God's power by the Holy Spirit as you read the Word of God, He'll change your life. You'll be a grace-filled person. That's what your kids need. They say, well, I've got a great book on marriage. I've got a great book on marriage. It's called the Bible. <laughs> I mean, really, I... And there are some really good books. And again, some really bad books. This is the best book. And that's why we recently had a class in our church taught on a book called What Did You Expect? It's my favorite book on marriage, apart from the Bible. Paul Tripp, he says this. What are we to do when our marriage is exceedingly difficult? And all marriages get to that point occasionally. Amen? <laughs> if you only knew, you're right, you know. Okay. Um, they get, they, okay, we are, okay, difficult. Uh, when, what do we do when we aren't attracted to our spouse? Here is the answer. A marriage of love, unity, and understanding is not rooted in romance. It is rooted 
in worship. I agree. I, I think romance is important. Absolutely. And please, guys, remember, next week is what? Mother's Day. Please remember that. I just thought of this. I'll come back to it. But our, our first child was born in 1984. So 1985, Mother's Day hit. And I, 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 nobody, nobody told me these things. No, you're just stupid unless you have a pastor like this who teaches you. So listen to me. So 1985 hits and, and Mother's Day came and gone. My wife very kindly said that night, she said, you, you didn't give me a gift. And then I said, maybe one of the top 10 most stupid things I've ever said. And I was just not thinking. I said, but you're not my mother. stupid she was very kind but oh man anyway back to this uh romance is important but but rooted in worship i i i I think that's what the bible teaches that out of the glory of christ these things these things rise and when we just come to christ this is a quote this is just for fun this is from john newton Newton says, we may observe that believers who have the most knowledge are not therefore necessarily the most spiritual. (laughs) It's all about how you receive the word and live it out. Some may and do walk more honorably and more comfortably with two talents than with five. He who experimentally knows his own weakness and depends simply upon the Lord will surely thrive. Amen. Worship, humbly receiving the word, glorying in the goodness of God. It's vitally important. It's the soil out of which it flourishes. So just just a couple of applications. Um, This, this, builds community just see this little phrase then in verse 12 it says may the lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else just as ours does for you it builds community we are a, a community of people just, just as ours does for you i was reading recently about a man who talked about a guy that came to their church this one he just wrote this in, He said that a while back, a former gang member in our community came to our church. He was heavily tattooed and rough around the edges in his dress and his mannerisms, but he was curious to see what church was like. He came to have a relationship with Jesus, and he seemed to get fairly involved in the life of our church. But after a few months, I noticed that this guy was no longer around. When I asked why he didn't come anymore, he gave me the following explanation. I had the wrong idea about what church was going to be like. When I joined the church because of Christ, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. You see, in gangs, we weren't just nice to each other once a week. We were family, close quote. And then this guy says, the pastor says, that killed me because I knew that what he expected is what church is intended to be. It saddened me to think that a gang 
could paint a better picture of commitment, loyalty, and family than the local body under the Lordship of Christ. You see, this, this, this produces friendship. Now, I, and just, this is just our church, you know. Are you involved in relationships where people can just walk with you and love you and you can overflow with love one with another? People slip in, slip out. They don't get involved. And you, you, you need the body of Christ. We're a gang. We're a gang. Heaven saints. Not hell's angels. Heaven saints, whatever. We're a gang. With all of our issues and all of our heartaches and all of our rough edges and nobody's perfect and nobody has the perfect child. Nobody has the perfect daughter. Nobody has the perfect marriage. Nobody has the perfect job because we live on this side of the fall. Thanks be to God, this side of salvation, but this side of heaven. So we're, we're living the in-between times. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're a gang under the cross of Jesus. And understand... Understand that this flows from the soil of the worship of the glory of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the mediated information of the Word of God. Worship. Love Him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. I read this BBC News article two months ago. I'm just, occasionally I'll pull it out and I'll look at it and I'll go, how? How's this happening? BBC News. This comes in February the 29th. It says, two men arrested in China in suspicion of stealing a historic century-old bridge. A 23-yard bridge in a historic city in northern China was stolen. A, st- a stone bridge. And, and the way they apprehended these guys is that two men drove up near dusk. They weren't real smart. With two cranes and two huge trucks. A suspicious person saw them. I'd be suspicious too. You know, I wrote down their license plate. This guy got up the next morning to go for his walk or whatever and noticed the bridge is no longer there. So he called the authorities and they traced down these guys and they'd sold the bridge for $4,700 the two thieves were, called, were Mr. Hong and Mr. Wong. And I, I thought, they stole a bridge. I mean, still a bridge. And I thought, remember your foundations. Remember the strong reality of the cross that we just celebrated. Remember who you are in Christ. Because the devil wants to come along with some trucks, flatbed trucks and some cranes and take this stone and this stone and this stone and pretty soon your foundations are gone. Remember that all we do comes from the soil of the worship of who Christ is in us. That's who we are. And when that happens, love increases and overflows and superbounds. And and when that happens... It's good. When that happens, other things flourish.
because the Lord is God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the, the, the glorious privilege of coming to the Lord's table and saying that this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is the center of the Christian faith. In the fullness of time, the eternal God left the happy land of the Trinity, was supernaturally born, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious over death, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, and even now this ascended, resurrected, glorious Lord is praying for us. Wow. Wow. And Lord, may the worship of, of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bubble up and overflow so that we will indeed be loving and kind and compassionate and grace-filled and zealous. Just do that in us. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of walking with people who, who live it out. Wow, just such a joy. So bless us, O oh Lord, we pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen.